and welcome to the Death Positive Podcast, where we talk about death positivity in regards to your furry little family members. Today, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Melissa Meadow, and Dr. Jen with Sage Paws. Jen, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, So as she said, Dr. Jen with Sage Paws, I am a veterinarian and I graduated in 2016. So a little over six years ago, I started practicing. I fell in love with end-of-life care for pets, hospice, and palliative care while I was in vet school. It's the first time I'd ever heard of that type of care, and it just really resonated with me. And I actually did provide in-home end-of-life care from January of 2018 to December of 2019 after about a year and a half in general practice. I just, you know, like I said, felt very drawn to it. Um, So I love to be able to continue talking about that passion with this new avenue. Awesome. And um, so we were really excited. I I mean, I, I'll look, I'll say it to all of my guests, but you're my favorite guest. I feel that you're, what you have to say <laughs> is so important. So I guess any of the other guests don't listen to this episode or I, I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll work it out. Everybody just fast forward. Yeah, exactly. Everyone is my favorite for different reasons, but um. I obviously don't want to get too ahead of anything or do any spoilers, but I'm really, really passionate about um, finding a way for pet owners to begin having the conversation about the end of their pet's lives. You know, we get we get really excited. We're all super excited about puppies and kittens and and baby anything. And we really forget that animals are, um, I, I always say they're, they're little tragedies, you know, they, they, they have such a short time with us. So um, I've watched so many friends, um, I've, I've myself have gone through the, the death of, uh, you know, a fur baby. Um, so I think just providing clarity to our listeners about how to, uh, when, when to say goodbye, you know, because our, our pets don't speak the same language as us. I'm, I'm sure I, maybe you have some insight on body language signs to look for. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just really excited because I, I was about to say, I'm really excited because my friend's cat is dying right now. Uh, that sounded bad. Um, but I'm excited to have you know, this resource for people. And so why don't we start with being proactive and planning for the end of life? Um, like when someone schedules an exploratory call with you, what are what are some of the questions you ask to get the process going? That's a great question. Um, when people schedule the exploratory call, I think the biggest thing for me is to know what are you struggling with the most? What are your biggest concerns, your biggest fears? Um, what thoughts are coming up for you? What questions do you have? And just to give them that safe, compassionate, and empathetic space where they can feel comfortable going through all of that. Because I know not everybody not everybody gets what it's like to go through pet loss and to be losing a pet. And um, sometimes it can be really invalidating for people. So to give them that space where they can express all of that and work through it. So that hopefully on the other side, they feel more empowered and at peace with the decisions that they will have to make at some point. 
Is there a common question that people ask, um, maybe something that you hear the most when people call, you know, are they mostly calling in regards to senior pets or do you find that you actually talk to a lot of people with younger pets who are, are really caught off guard and, and aren't sure what to do? Yeah. So I think the most common question that I get is how will I know when it's time? because there is not a easy black and white answer like we all would hope. And most of the people that I'm working with do have senior pets, um, but hospice palliative care can really apply to any life stage. I mean, puppies and kittens get things like parvovirus, where they're very, very sick. Um, cancer does not care how old you are. And um, unfortunately, I have worked with people who have lost pets very, very young, um, just like your friend did. So really any life stage, we can be facing end of life, just like with people. We have no idea when um, the end is coming, when death is coming, and we can't predict it. So majority of the people, it is senior pets. But if you have a puppy, a kitten, a young adult pet, um, I can absolutely help with that too. Awesome. So my next question is, do you have advice for people who might have limited means? I mean, I'm sure you know better than anybody else that vet bills add up really quickly. Um, you know, I was talking to Melissa earlier and telling her about when my cat Murray had cancer and every vet bill was like $1,300. I think I spent almost $10,000 to give him an extra three months of life at most. And I, I just felt so guilty. I, I, di I didn't know what to do. I, I would have paid anything to just keep him going. So for other people who are in that position, um, you know, I was really lucky. I had care credit, but do you have advice to other people who might be in that position, but have a limited means to, you know, pay for all of these tests? Yeah. And I think, um, if you can, I'm all, I'm all about taking a proactive approach with, with, with anything. And I think in the beginning, so when you first get your pet, whether it's a puppy or a kitten or a young adult dog or even a senior dog, it just depends. Look into getting pet insurance. The earlier you could get pet insurance um, before there is any kind of pre-existing condition, that can really help later on in life when these emergencies come up, when these unexpected vet bills come up. So that would probably be my number one tip for just a new pet is getting pet insurance. Um, another thing that I have advised people to do is even open like a savings account specifically for your pet to put a certain amount of money towards each month. Um, a credit card, a dedicated credit card for your pets, your vet bills, normal stuff like food, treats, that kind of thing, but just having a dedicated credit card. Care credit, like you mentioned, is another uh, another option that people have and they can get approved usually right then and there in the vet's office. And they can also use that for them too on like any kind of medical bill for them as well. So it's a nice two-part thing. And then there, there's a lot of other stuff out there. I don't know all of them, but there is one, um, it's called Scratch Pay. And I think it's similar to Care Credit, but almost like a personal loan. I don't know a whole lot about it, but um, that would be another thing to look into. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask, when you recommend pet insurance, have you had any good experiences or bad experiences as to which one maybe you would recommend people do or don't look at? 
Sure. That's a great question. And there are so many options out there. The two that I have heard good things about are True Panion, and it's T-R-U-P-A-N-I-O-N, and Healthy Paws is another one um, that I've heard a lot of people had good things to say about. I think Nationwide Car Insurance also just came out with the pet insurance line. Um, and tell... An, what I would encourage people to do also is maybe check with their their um, car insurance carriers to see if they offer something for for pets. Um, but there may be other ones out there that I'm that I don't know. But those are the two that I've heard good things about: is True Panion and Healthy Paws. Nice, that's great. Thank you. That was a good question, Melissa. <laughs> um. My next question, I guess, would be what are um, what are some signs that people should look for? Like when uh, I, I don't know if I'm the only monster that's had a pet that's sick and you look at your pet and you're just like, you're just like, I don't know, buddy, are you going to be OK? Because it's going to be five hundred dollars. And mommy doesn't really want to spend five hundred dollars if you just have hiccups or you're just being a cat and annoying. So um, do you have any signs where you're just like. And we can put it in perspective of a young pet and senior pets, but we'll we'll kind of lean more towards when your pets are starting to age. Is there something that people should really look out for? Like, hey, this is really serious. Like, it's it's time to take your pet in. Yeah, that is a fantastic question, um, and it 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 honestly just depends on the situation. But I think the big things that is like you should go to the vet now, especially for, for younger pets would be if they are having trouble going to the bathroom or they haven't urinated in over 24 hours, especially for cats, if they're crying out while they're trying to go to the bathroom, um, vomiting excessive amounts within 24 hours, can't keep anything down, especially if they can't keep water down. Um, Oh, breathing would be another emergency type situation where if they're really having a hard time breathing, their abdomen's working really, really hard. They, their elbows are kind of out to the side. Um, they're panting. Their gums look yellow or not yellow. <laughs> look, oh my gosh, um, white, purple, blue. Um, those would be would be emergency type situations. Yeah. And two, some other things I wanted to add to the emergency situation would be any episode of collapse, um, seizures that are lasting for more than, um, I would say, 30 to 60 minutes if they're having multiple back-to-back seizures, that would definitely be another emergency um, type situation for, for any, any pet, um, extreme lethargy. If they're just laying around, not really acting like themselves, um, going a few days without eating anything would be, would be another one too. Nice. Yeah. I feel like that's all. It's so hard. Cause you know, cats are sort of known for just laying around and doing nothing. And then you're just like looking, you're like, are you laying around and doing nothing because you're a cat? because you don't feel good like what's going on I'm like constantly like googling like cat seems tired is this normal um so good yeah um well let's fast forward to we have a senior we'll put it in terms of senior pets we're not talking about little puppies dying but you have a senior pet you have a diagnosis your your pet has cancer um and I don't know if this is maybe 
will lean into a personal opinion for you or, well, I'm not going to answer. I'm like, let me answer the question for you. Let me ask half of the question and begin to answer it for you. But um, how do you talk to people about, about, you know, when to proceed with more life-saving measures and when the quality of life for the pet might be might be um, impacted. Like my cat, when he, they recommended surgery and we had to choose between the surgery that might give him a couple more months, but he also might die on the operating table because he was so weak um, or to forgo the operation, but accept that my cat was at that point going to die and then having to work through when to say goodbye to him. So do you have advice or thoughts for people on where in that little timeline, if there's like little things where you start going like, it might be best to say no to operation. It might be best to talk about when to say goodbye. Yes, that is a fantastic question. One that I've actually had to answer with my own pets and navigate. And it really comes down to there isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer when it comes to deciding, do I pursue more diagnostics? Do I just elect like palliative comfort oriented care? It really is a very personal decision. And we have to look at the individual, the family and see, you know, are they able to, um, if it's going to be a lot of care, are they able to dedicate the time for that care? Are they physically able to handle the care? I mean, even if it's a a 15 pound dog, you have to look at your client. Do they have underlying medical issues that would prevent them from even picking the dog up? So the weight of the pet doesn't necessarily matter. Mm -hmm. Um, Emotionally and mentally, are they able to provide that type of care? Um, And I think it depends on the underlying disease process too. You know, what are for this individual pet, what, what would be the pros to going forward with X, Y, and Z? What would be the cons? What does the recovery time look like for that pet? And something that I always say to people is just because we can, doesn't mean we, we should. And it just, it just honestly depends, honestly depends on the person, the pet, their unique situation, the underlying disease process, um, and whatever they feel is best for them and their pet. And this would be like, so on your website, sagepaws.com, I said that right? No, actually, sagepaws.com. This is something that you would offer in like your exploratory calls, right? Like people anywhere earlier, you told me you were, you're in Ohio, but people anywhere can call you like from around the globe, right? We were talking about that. You can speak English. I can help you. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I think it's really important for people to know because Melissa and I have experience with that, that we have this sort of, um, unusual funeral knowledge. And I'm, so I'm very accustomed to just being like, doesn't matter where you are. Like we, and I don't, I actually, I just do, um, animal laws differ in the States. Like I know for Melissa and I, we, we have to know that in certain States, certain rules apply. Um, some States you don't need a funeral director. Some States you don't need to be licensed to be a funeral director. And like in Colorado, um, I assume that's still the way. Um, some places you can bury on your property, some places you can't. Um, does the animal world have laws like that that differ between states that would prevent people from following any sort of sage advice that you might have? That's a good question. And I don't know that we get that specific with a lot of things. Um, 
I know that there are some people that will have a funeral for their pet, but I don't believe it is, is as common as what we do on the human side. Burial, home burial, that depends, I think, on city and state ordinances if, if it's allowed to have a home burial. So that would be something that people would have to do a little digging and um, do some research and check on that in their specific area. But other than that, I'm not aware of any a big no-no. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm not aware that there's any kind of stipulations or regulations um, on the animal side. Maybe in the future, but yeah. right now I don't believe that there is. Um, would you feel comfortable talking about Riley? Because I thought it was a really great story. Um, you know, what the his last meal that you gave him, I think would be, it's you know, as a spoiler alert, the chocolate, you know, and people thinking like maybe you couldn't give chocolate to a dog. Do you want to talk a little bit about your personal experience with him and when you knew it was time to say goodbye? Because I like that you said that you wanted to end it on a high note. And I think that's really important because I think we wait for people to just be so sick they can't go on anymore. So would you feel comfortable sharing that story? Yes, I would absolutely love to talk about him. I think his story and his journey has kind of... um helped me with starting this business. It inspired me to start this business. So he was diagnosed with a, what we call soft tissue sarcoma, which was on his side. It was right underneath the skin and that type of, of cancer, it was a malignant, malignant type of tumor. That type of cancer usually stays put. So that was kind of the added bonus. It usually stays in the same spot. It can migrate other places, but it's not as common as other types of tumors, if that makes sense. So the type of tumor that he had, uh, the downside to it is it has these little microscopic finger-like projections that go into the surrounding tissue. So removing it, it's hard to get all of the tumor. And because of that, it tends to come back in that same general same spot um, and it can come back quicker. And before when his, when his tumor did come back, there was a time where my mom had taken him to the vet cause he just wasn't acting like himself. And at that same appointment, he, that's when he, um, she texted me and said, he collapsed. I have no idea what's going on with him. He collapsed. We're on our way to the emergency vet right now. And he had a bunch of tests done and they ended up discovering that he had another mass on his liver. So not only did he have the mass on his side, he now had this new mass on his liver and we decided to see what other options we had. We went to see a radiation oncologist and yes, there are board certified veterinary radiation oncologists as well as other specialties. Um, but we went to see her and explore other options and it was a fantastic appointment. She spent every bit of two hours with us going through the options that we had from the Mercedes Benz top of the line option to the middle ground to the palliative keeping him comfortable option. And my mom and I were going through it and I remember she just looked at it and with tears in her eyes, she looked at me and she said, because it was quite expensive and um, it was going to require 20 treatments, five days in a row. Um, every day he'd have to be there for two hours, a 45 minute car ride for a dog that just hated being in the car. He hated being at the vet's office. So it was going to be a lot to put him through. And she looked at it and she said, with tears in her eyes, she said, I hate that it comes down to money. And I just, I can't 
see putting him through all of that at 13. If he were younger, maybe, but I just can't see putting him through all of that. And I just, I hate that it comes down to money. And I looked at her and I said, mom, it's okay. It's okay if we don't, don't pursue that option. Riley has no idea that he has cancer. And right now he has a really, really good quality of life. So why don't we just focus on that and just enjoy the time that we have left with him for however long that may be. And the, um, the relief that just came over her and it was just, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And it was, um, I think just nice for her to know, like, if we can't pursue it because of, of cost, you know, that that's okay. It's absolutely okay. If cost is, is a factor. And we got a lot of good time with him. Um, we ended up doing a surgery to remove the bulk of that tumor that was there just so it wouldn't continue to grow and cause other issues or rupture and get infected. And he got a lot of good time. And then it eventually got to the point where I remember my mom texting me. This was in December of 2017. And she said, something's wrong with him. I don't, I don't know. He's just seems like he's having a hard time breathing. There's just, there's something wrong and I don't know what to do. And we chatted back and forth about it. And I told her, I was like, it sounds like he's okay. I don't think you have to go anywhere right now. If it'll make you feel better, absolutely go. But I think we're okay to wait till tomorrow. Let me know how he's doing. And I'll meet you at, I was working um, in a private practice at that time. And I told her that I would meet her there and we could maybe do some more, get some more answers. And she texted me the next morning and said, he is still not doing well. And so I met her at my work and we took an x-ray and the tumor that was the size of a golf ball previously was about the size of a grapefruit. And seeing that and seeing how he was acting, we, my dad was there with her and the three of us, we had decided, you know, let's maybe do another ultrasound just to see like how big it is, where it's at. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't tell if it was on his liver or his spleen you know, knowing where the other one was, we assumed it was there, but we couldn't tell for sure if this was the same or a new one. And, um, so then the next day he came in, uh, for an ultrasound and it was on his liver, it was the size of a grapefruit. And we had decided then that, you know, we didn't, um, we didn't want to risk that tumor rupturing and causing, basically him to, to bleed out internally and to pass oh. from that. Um, and the other complicating factor in that decision was my grandfather had passed away to, um, uh, the day, two days before we had that ultrasound done. <laughs> so uh, we, um, you know, we were looking at doing having the funeral for him and, just we we were afraid that if something were to happen to Riley while we were trying to, you know, attend the funeral and go through all of that, my mom just didn't want that for him and neither neither did we. And mm-hmm. so we probably could have gotten some more time with him, but we didn't want we would much rather have been a day too early than one second too late for him. And we wanted him to go out on that high note with all of his dignity versus an emergency type situation. So we made the best of that lat day with him. And that evening is when we, um, we said goodbye. And 
the dog that loved milk bones. I gave him a Reese cup on that day and he had a milk bone in his mouth and I was unwrapping another mm. Reese cup and he spit it out. He spit that milk bone out and he was so excited to get another Reese cup and he ate them until he, you know, peacefully drifted off to sleep uh, with the sedation and it it made for a really beautiful uh, memory for me and my family to see him get to enjoy that. Um, enjoy that. Yeah. Aww, yeah. And were you able to have someone come to your house to, to euthanize him? Yes, we did. We, I had, I had told my mom that I would be the one to, to do that, um, at home if she wanted, but there was another, a service in the area that we ended up calling and it, it ended up being for the best for me. So I could just be the family member instead of the doctor. And I am forever grateful for the vet that did come to the house, um, and, and help him pass away peacefully. I like that you uh, added that because I, and uh, Melissa, I saw you nodding your head. Um, and I imagine that we're kind of maybe thinking the same thing that, uh, you know, being a funeral director doesn't prevent certainly me from grief or, or sadness. And I think part of my motivation in continuously like educating and talking to people is, is hoping that we can create a better, stronger community so that when I need help, you know, like I have this information, but like I will not be able to use it when it comes to my own family. I'll be able to keep calm because I know what's going on. And I think that not knowing is what causes a, an undue amount of panic or fear. Um, but I just always think it's sort of about like, you know, ensuring that we have good friends and good neighbors that can be there to help us, and, you know, be the strength that we can't be so that, you know, in turn, we can be there for them when they need it. I don't know if you do you want to add something, Melissa, because I saw you. So <clears throat> prior to us recording, um, you said something that I don't think Amber and I knew um, what the term euthanasia means. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the term euthanasia. Yeah, yeah. It means good death. It means good death, and it certainly is a very, yeah. very peaceful, kind, dignified way for our pets to die. Yeah, it's. I find it really interesting that you know we have this for our pets, and we accept it as a way to you know to give them the the death with dignity or the medical aid in dying, um, and that we're still struggling to give this to humans, you know, because it, it you know, I I really like the. Um, ending it on a high note, you know, we, because we're so obsessed with like prolonging the life, prolonging the life. And that's the question that so many of my friends have with their pets. You know, Sasha, my friend's cat just collapsed. You know, I got a text from one of our other friends and it was like, oh my gosh, like Sasha Bear collapsed. Like Sonia and May are rushing her to the vet. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, Sonia and I have been talking about, you know, when does she say goodbye? Like how, how much longer should she keep Sasha going on? Because Sasha is like just the absolute love of her life. Um, and my friend Clementina saw a dog, Sunny, you know, that's one of her biggest re regrets is that Sunny didn't go out on a high note. And Murray didn't either. Murray had uh, some sort of like an embolism that basically like let loose. And my sweet little loving cat that had been born in my closet that I held the day he was born taught him taught him how to go to the bathroom. He he died like a feral cat. It was the most traumatic thing I'd ever seen. He he went crazy. I And it was he he 
it was like he thought somebody was in the room with him and he didn't know what was going on. It was like he was blind and only could feel only fear senses. And like my cat basically died terrified and I will never forgive myself for not putting him down like a day early, you know, like I was, I just felt in that moment, I felt very, so I just like, I just would have given anything for a little bit more time. Um, and so maybe the thing that I'm trying to say is, you know, like that the eternal struggle of like, when do we ask humans to keep living for us, humans that have cancer that want to go, you know, and our pets, you know, what having these honest conversations where it's like, you know, Clementine and I talk about like, she was asking Sonny to hang on for her and Sonny didn't want to. And I was asking Murray to hang on for me and he was very sick. And one of my first clients with Undertaking LA was a medical aide in dying. And I was talking to her about their patient. Um, and, you know, she was like, it's really hard. She's like, every day I have to pee in a bucket. You know, like it's hard for me to get go outside and and see sunshine because every step I take is terrible. And my friends just keep asking me to stay and it's and it's horrible. Every day is pain. And I mean, I don't want people to like look at their pet and think every day is pain for your pet. But, you know, if we can put that empathy where it's like, yeah, taking your dog for like a last walk and stiff in all their places. And isn't that so much nicer than like my cat going out in extreme terror and then me sobbing in the vet office and then putting him down and then is is putting him down is that okay to say is that like a terrible thing putting them down also feels weird when i say that it's it's a common thing people say put them down put them to sleep euthanize um euthanasia those are all all pretty common terms um that are used so yeah, it feels it's like it just feels so like old yellerish. Um but, but yeah, I just think that I I really want people to to meditate or think about, you know, cuz your cat I mean, I think at the end of the day like they're not going to be able to say like I'm ready, so you have to be strong enough maybe to let them go. I don't know if that's how you feel too. And I think you know, it's I get asked all the time like what if this were your pet, what would you do? And, you know, the reality is what I might do and what you might do can be very different things. And when you feel ready and I feel ready could also be very, very different. And the most important thing is you have to feel as ready as you'll ever be because you're never ready for it. Um, You also have to feel like your pet is ready to make that transition. And until you feel that you, you will likely have a very difficult time feeling at peace with, with the decision. Um, so yeah, I feel like, and tell me if I'm making this up, do you, you offer bereavement support? Is that something else that people can come to you for? Yes, I do. I, I offer bereavement support to help people, um, like a grief, like grief companioning. So holding space for people as they're navigating through, through that, um, that journey, um, along with, people that are looking at making those end-of-life decisions sooner rather than later, as well as helping people with pets that have just entered the senior stage or like right in the middle of the senior stage, helping them know what changes to look for that would signal a trip to the vet. So hopefully they can maybe catch things sooner, get treatment or management started sooner. And by getting ahead of it, being proactive, we can hopefully get more quality of life as well as quantity. So more, more time together by catching those things early. Oh, Melissa, did you want to add something? Yeah, I got something. So in my own experience, when my cat Bella was at the end of her life, Bella Lugosi, this is before Twilight, okay? Okay. So, 
when she was at the end of her life, it was cancer. She had a cancer diagnosis and the veterinarian at the time was like, oh yeah, we can do all these treatments, all this stuff. She was already 16 years old. And so I brought her home and I, I knew I couldn't do that, but she made the decision pretty much for me by letting me know, like she second day after that vet visit with the diagnosis, she didn't want even tuna. So, um, and her lethargy was just way more than it had been. So like, those were the signs that I knew that I, I didn't need to follow what that vet was telling me at the time. And something I've noticed with vets is, I don't don't know if we want to touch on this is some of the ones that have been bought by corporations, they are there to try to continue to give care um, and maybe to continue to have treatment plans and things like that, that may not be in the best interest of the pet. Um, In which case I would suggest reaching out to somebody for a call like you um, to kind of compare that to what, you know, what advice you may be getting if you're needing a second opinion. Um, you know, like I had said before, there's, there's, I don't think there's a limit to what we, what is out there, what we can do. I mean, we could literally do surgery on, uh, you know, let's say to remove a tumor on an 18 year old dog. And just because they're 18 doesn't mean that they can't go under anesthesia because age is not a disease, but do we have other things underlying that can make things a little bit more complicated? Do we need to adjust, you know, dosages and things like that? Um, and I forgot where I was going with that bot. Uh, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. No, I like that you said age isn't a factor. Cause I think to me, I, I guess I would think like, I don't, you know, Murray was 12 and I thought he should have been a lot older, but I guess it's interesting because if he had been 16, would I have felt different? Would I have thought like, oh, well, my cat is 16, so I guess this is it. So I, I actually think that that's a really helpful thing that you said, that it shouldn't just be based on like the age of your pet. But, you know, you know, like Murray, they were like, they said he it's very possible that he would die on the operating table. So, you know, that that's what ultimately made our decision was that I didn't want my cat to die in the middle of an operation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that again, goes down to everybody's a little bit different and it's a personal decision because I have met people that they want as much time with their pet as possible, knowing like, okay, we could do this, the pet could die, or it could mean an emergency uh, trip. And that's okay to, to want all that time. And then there are other people that are like, nope, I don't want that emergency filled situation. I want it to be peaceful. I want it to be at home at park or wherever, um, you know, whatever space they feel comfortable in. And by wanting that, they know that they may have to make the decision a little bit sooner than they feel ready to, or maybe comfortable with. They may be giving up days, weeks, months with their pet, but that's okay because that's, you know, they got that peaceful, no emergency goodbye that they wanted. So it's again, very much a gray, a gray area. Um, very, very personal decision. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, it goes back to a sort of talking about, it's like, yeah, do you want that quality? Do you want quality of life or quantity of life? And that's the same question that we're asking ourselves as humans is do we, you know, when, when do we transfer people to, to hospice? When do we stop doing life-saving measures? Like, you know, we have paperwork that says like, do not give me life-saving measures. Like, let me go. You know, my mom does not want 
to like her, one of her biggest fears is being like on a respirator and just like, and I've told her, I was like, oh, well, if you don't put that in writing, like I'm not pulling the plug on you. You're not going anywhere. So, I mean, I do want to respect her wishes, but you know, just, it's very important to her. She doesn't, she doesn't want, she wants a good life. She doesn't want a long one. And I think that's a respectable thing. Absolutely. And I don't know. I don't know if you two have heard or read these books, but the first one is Beginner's Guide to the End. And that one is that one's a good one, um, all about pre-planning what you want, that sort of thing. And then there's another book called Being Mortal. And it he's a surgeon who talks yes. about his um, end-of-life experience with his dad and how it changed his outlook on you know, when we are at the end of life, we have those terminal, the terminal diagnosis, like, do we do all the things? And just, I don't know, it was, I thought those, those books were really, really good. And they, they apply to both human and I think animal as well. Awesome. Yes. I love when I get new book recommendations. Um, All right. Well, we know that your time is really valuable and we want to kind of wrap things up for our listeners, but I have one more question for you. Um, So let's say people, they kind of want a second opinion or they're just not really sure that what their vet suggested was the right thing. Like um, my cat just got um, almost all of his teeth pulled and I kind of thought like, oh my gosh, that just feels really aggressive. And I would have liked to have just asked another vet if that was uh, the appropriate course of action. So is that something that um, the people that are listening to this podcast can can do or you can offer for them? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm definitely not a replacement for your your vet. I can't I can't prescribe, diagnose that sort of thing um, and give specific medical advice, but we can definitely talk just generally about, you know, what options were presented to you what, you know, what could be the pros, the cons of that. Um, If there are other options that maybe weren't mentioned, I can use the knowledge that I have as a veterinarian to um, put those, you know, those on the table. And just to be, just to be that sounding board too, you know, when I was in general practice, I didn't always have the time to have these conversations with clients because they are so, they can be so in-depth Um, so being able to take that off of another vet's plate to, you know, or maybe if they're not comfortable with having those conversations as well, because not, not every vet is comfortable with it because it is so, can be so emotionally charged. Um, so (laughs) just to, yeah, just to take, take that off of their, their plate, um, and just again, compliment the care that they're getting, getting with their vet. Nice. And in case anybody missed it at the beginning of the episode, do you want to let everybody know uh, where they can find you? So what your website is and if you're on Instagram, Facebook, um, what your your handles are. I mean, I know you're on Instagram, spoiler alert, but you want to let other people know you are. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is just sagepaws.com and my Instagram handle is at underscore sage underscore pause. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so, so much. Um, I mean this sincerely. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I understand um, how valuable uh, time is and that you are a wealth of knowledge and we really appreciate you sitting down to uh, share some of that with us. 
Thank you guys for having me. I'm so happy to have been here um, and to be part of this awesome podcast. I can't wait to see who else you guys have lined up. Well, that's a wrap on our very first episode of the Death Positive Podcast. Once again, I'm Amber Carvely. I'm just one of your hosts, but you can follow me on the Instagram at Mortician in the Kitchen, where I talk all things food, death, and grief. I love it, and I hope that you do too. You can follow Melissa at the Modern Mortician, which is the underscore modern underscore mortician. We have so many amazing new projects coming up, so I do hope that you will come back and please, please, please um, like, share, tell your friends about this podcast because without you, it's just the two of us talking about death, which to be honest is quite fun, but it's always more fun with friends. I know that sounds cheesy, but I mean it. So thank you guys. Um, Oh, don't forget to join us next week when we talk about alkaline hydrolysis. If you uh, don't know what that is, you can join the club. I wasn't entirely sure what it was either. I mean, I knew, but I had a lot of questions and I'm sure you do too. So I'll see you then.